It is written. The Gospel of Luke says, even though all of heaven and earth will pass away, my word will remain true forever. It is written. The book said to hide this in your heart and it's to consume of this thing constantly. The Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was the Word. It is written. Is this actually what that scripture is saying? It is written. Hey friends, open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a traditional Bible and you'd like one, just raise your hand. One of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. Or you can take your smart device and open the U version, or it's also called the Bible app and all the notes and all the scriptures there already right there. If you are watching us live on our online campus or one of our services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, welcome. We love you and we love you. Thank you for being a part of our our family. And so welcome to week three in a series of messages that we've been in that we're simply calling It Is Written. And the purpose has just been to help you to understand your Bible. And I really love this verse. We used it last week. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and it is, this is a great word, it is useful. And I want you to think about that word useful. In other words, the Bible was never intended to just be read or to be this little campfire, ukulele, kumbaya thing that was for a Sunday religious experience only. It was meant to be useful in every part of of our lives, to be useful in your marriage and with your kids, for your money and with your job. Why? So that the servant of God or the people of God, which that's us, that's you, so that you may be thoroughly equipped. Equipped for what? For every good work. So one of my goals for you is that you would dive into the two most important disciplines a Jesus person can have. And those two things are prayer and the Bible. And we're helping you with prayer, which is you talking to God by opening up our auditorium at our DePierce site every Tuesday from noon until 8 o'clock. And we would love it if you would come and just spend a little bit of time with us. And we're helping you with your Bible, which is God talking to us by doing this series, which is definitely more teachy than I normally do. It's really a graduate level seminary course because we want you to learn it, to love it, so that you'll live it. And so I want to continue today with a message that will tell you why the Bible can be trusted. Let's pray. God, we love you. We value you. We cherish you. Thank you for who you are, for what you do. God, thank you that before we loved you, you loved us. Thank you that your word has become life, that it dwells among us, that it lives among us. It lives within us. And so today I pray that that word that you've deposited in us will be developed all around who we are and what we do so that when we leave this place, we'll be less like us and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. The truth of Scripture, or you can also say it like this, the trustworthiness of Scripture is a topic that is more in need now in this generation than it has ever been because this generation has been taught that the Bible is secondary literature or that it is suggestive literature, that it has some helpful content, but at its core, 
it's contradictory in nature. And so, so we've been taught that it should be read with a critical eye and a confrontational approach. So this group of confrontational critics in this generation have tried to form a consensus saying things like the Bible isn't true or that the Bible isn't accurate. They would say that there are obviously parts that are good, but that you can't really trust it because it's been messed with or it's been messed up throughout the years. But that consensus has been founded on lies that the enemy has sown into our culture that have been presented as knowledge, enlightenment, and truth. And since most Jesus people lack the kind of knowledge about Scripture that they should have, they easily buckle underneath the scrutiny. But let me say something to you, and I say this in total humility. I do not lack knowledge, so I will not buckle. And so I want to give you the same kind of knowledge that I have so that you won't buckle either. This word is true. This word is accurate and it has not been messed with. It has not been messed up through the years. In fact, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass. Or let, it, let me say it like this. A lot of things are going to change, but Jesus said his words, they will never pass away. How do we know that? Well, well today I'm going to try to give you a 28-minute crash course in what's called apologetics. And apologetics simply is the defense of your faith. Now, I'm not a natural apologetic, but I am a natural researcher. So what I've done is I've just done the research for you, but I don't want to try to take credit for the content. Like there's, there's a guy, Dr. Ravi Zacharias, and he is perhaps the greatest apologist of our time. And when you get an opportunity, check out his website. It's rzim.org. Or Josh McDowell is an incredible apologist. He wrote a book that is definitely a must read. It is called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and it is phenomenal stuff. And some of what I'll present to you today actually came from that. And so I I just did the research for you. And so let me give you seven reasons the Bible can be trusted. Here's the first. You can trust the Bible because it is historically accurate. And this, this flies in the face of those who would say that they are great principles, but that the stories are made up. Like, like uh, one man and one woman Mm, I'm sure Adam was just a representation of humanity, but he, he probably wasn't a real guy. Or these folks would say, you know, I don't know about the whole Noah thing, like all the animals, how big was that boat? Or, or I don't know about the Jonah and the fish thing. What kind of fish was that, that a dude could like live inside of it for a couple of days? Or, or they would say like, you know, that, that these are just metaphors, right? They, they would infer that they're not literal events. But the problem is, Slowly but surely, history is proving the book to be true. This is not just a book of great principles. And so the psalmist said, the word of the Lord is not only right, he said the word of the Lord is also true. Now, I know that you cannot use the words of any document to validate that document. So let me say this, all historians will tell you, for something to be deemed as historically accurate, it must pass three tests. There has to be A, eyewitness accounts. Like those stories cannot be hearsay. That, like they can't be like, well, somebody said this. And so when I heard it, I wrote it down. And when I wrote it down, I'm, I now became the writer of that. Or, or I became the author of that. And, and most of the Bible, incidentally, was written by people who were actually there, 
For example, the Gospels, the first four books in the New Testament, they, they were written by people who lived and walked with Jesus. They heard the things that they wrote from his mouth themselves, which is why even though they didn't collaborate, they also don't contradict. They align perfectly. Moses, for example, didn't just hear about the Red Sea. He walked between the Red Sea when it part. In the book of Acts, it says that Jesus appeared to over 500 people, 500 witnesses after he had resurrected, after he had come back from the dead. And many of those people were still alive when the book of Acts was published. So eyewitness accounts, check. Second, it has to have been recorded and copied with extreme care. In fact, it is my belief that this is why God entrusted some of the most meticulous people on the planet to do this job, and that's the Jewish nation. I mean, the Jewish scribes had a standard that no one on earth has ever had for recording history. They didn't just transcribe it word for word. They did it letter by letter. So when they transcribed the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they knew, watch this, what the middle letter was of all five of those books. So once they finished transcribing a copy, they would go to that middle letter and then they would count in both directions. And if the number didn't match up perfectly in either direction, they threw the whole thing away and they started again. So this whole myth that says that it's changed every time somebody wrote it is just not true. In fact, in the 1940s and 1950s, archeologists found the Dead Sea Scrolls and when they found them, they actually were some of the latest manuscripts that had ever been published, yet they were perfect in every way they matched to the letter. So copied with extreme care, check. The third test is that there has to have been archaeological confirmation. And even to this day, throughout the Middle East, they are constantly excavating areas and finding biblical evidence. In fact, one of the main pieces of evidence that skeptics have used to man having written scripture was something called the Hittite Empire. Naysayers would, would point to this empire saying like, how is it that an empire of such power and renown could have existed in the Bible yet have totally disappeared? And so for thousands of years, the Hittite Empire was the primary argument that naysayers would use for the Bible being man-made. Then, about a hundred years ago, excavators unearthed it. Tons of evidence, tons of documentation. And so for over 3,000 years after they disappeared, no one could find them. And then suddenly, they reappeared. Archaeological confirmation? Check. Scripture passes all three historical tests, okay? So here's the second reason that the Bible can be trusted, is it is scientifically accurate. Because God is the God of the universe, he created everything. He created the laws of the universe. He created medical laws. He created bodies. He created the stars and the skies. He created everything, which is why when the Bible talks about science, it has never been contradicted. Even though the science of its day didn't agree with most of the science of the Bible, it has still never been contradicted. And most of the science of the Bible's day didn't agree with the science of the Bible's content because the science of the Bible was ahead of its time. So science has evolved 
Y'all know that that happens. You realize that that happens, right? That science changes and I can prove that. Just go back and read your third grade science book. They aren't using that anymore because the science that's in that book has changed. How about computer science? If, if you go back to what we were studying in, in my computer science class, even when I was in college, which wasn't really that long ago, it's, it's crazy. It's totally laughable. It's obsolete because technology changes. Science changes. In fact, Everything man creates changes. So scripture says, let every created thing give praise to the Lord our God for he issued the commands. He set it all in order and they, his commands, came into being and he set them into place forever and ever. Well, how in the world does that possibly happen? How is it that an earthly science can change but biblical science doesn't need to be updated. First, let me say what's interesting is, even though the Bible isn't a science book and it doesn't use a lot of scientific language, it is still scientifically accurate. But still, there's this group of people who come up with things that they think scientifically proves the Bible to be, to be flawed, to be, to be errant. For example, in 1861, the French Academy of Science issued a document called 51 incontrovertible scientific facts that prove the Bible is wrong. <laughs> Talk about a title. But coincidentally, I use air quotes, since 1861, all 51 incontrovertible facts have been proven controvertible. They have been proven to all be wrong. And I don't only find what the Bible says about science interesting, I actually find what the, Bi what the Bible doesn't say about science to be even more interesting because there was a science in the day of the writing of the Bible. And none of the scientific thoughts or theories that were widely accepted or considered re reliable during those years show up in the Bible. For instance, you, you do know that it was widely accepted in that time that the earth was flat, right? I mean, it was... It really wasn't until Copernicus and Galileo and Columbus in 1492 that they thought, huh, I don't think this thing is actually flat. I think this thing is actually round. I don't think we're going to fall off the edge. But if they just looked in the Bible over 2,500 years before in the book of Isaiah, it says God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and the Hebrew word that is translated to circle is the word sphere. It's where we get the word globe. Does that sound familiar? So before NASA or before satellites were taking pictures, the Bible knew. How? Maybe because man didn't write the book. Maybe because God did. Here's another. During the time that the Bible was being written, it was a common belief that the earth had to be held up. Of course, the Greeks believed it was held up by Atlas. That's the statue that you've probably seen with the guy who looks a lot like me crouching, holding the world on its shoulders. That's what they believed, that Atlas was holding the world up. The Hindus at that time, they believed that the earth sat on the back of an elephant, which stood on the back of a sea turtle, which stood on the back of a serpent that swam throughout the sea. Crazy. The brilliant Egyptians, the masterminds of architecture and engineering, they believed that the earth stood on five pillars, which let me pause, by the way, and say that the Bible tells us that Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, that Moses was trained in the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was raised as the grandson of Pharaoh in the finest Egyptian schools. But that Egyptian belief system does not show up anywhere in the Bible, even though Moses wrote the first five books of it. In fact, the oldest book in our Bible, the book of Job, says this. It says he spread out over the northern skies over 
empty space, watch this, he suspends the earth over nothing. If that wasn't the science of the day, how is it that Job could have ever known that? Well, maybe Job didn't write it. Maybe God did. How about this one? During the time of the writing of the Bible, people believed that the stars could be counted. And so in 150 BC Hipparchus, he, he actually counted them. And he said that there were 1,022 stars. And everyone believed him. Until 300 years later, when a guy named Ptolemy, and he's still considered one of the geniuses of astronomy, Ptolemy came along and he said, that's the most foolish thing that I have ever heard in my life. He said, I counted them and there's 1,026, bro. You missed four of them, you total idiot. Well, well, if they just would have read the book of Jeremiah over 2,500 years ago, he said, and the stars of the sky cannot be counted. Y'all, I saw on CNN that we're still finding planets. Then if you move on to the medical science that was prevalent during those days, I mean, it was like some crazy stuff. Hippocrates, who is the father of medicine in many ways, he came up with something called humoralism. And humoralism suggested that there were four things that basically created disease and caused your temperament. And those four things were yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood. And every problem was connected to and caused by those four things. And it was widely believed for thousands of years. So they believed things like too much blood made you sick. So what they did was something called bloodletting. They thought if someone got sick, you had to get the sick blood out of them. And, and, and so you would cut that person and you would bleed them out. I mean, our first president died from bloodletting. He had heart issues and on the third time that they cut him, he try, they tried to let him bleed out and he died from blood loss. Of course, we know now that the opposite is true. When someone is sick, we, we give you blood. It's called a transfusion because we know that there's life in the blood. Well, well, if they had just read Leviticus, it says, for the life of the body is in the blood. Even in the Middle Ages during the bubonic plague or the black plague that killed one out of every four people in Europe because they had no concept of germs or contagion, 25% of the European population died because they had no clue that you could actually spread something from one person to another. But if they had just read the book of Leviticus, they would have seen that it says the priest will quarantine a sick person for seven days. Y'all, all this stuff is in the Bible. It's been in there the whole time. And this book is scientifically accurate because man didn't write it, God did, and his ways are always right. Scripture says his words are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined over fire seven times. And if you begin to believe that, I'm telling you, friends, it will change your life. Here's the third reason that the Bible can be trusted is it is prophetically accurate. Now, writing a prophecy or a prediction in that day obviously was risky because if any of your prophecies or if any of your predictions that were, writ were written didn't happen, the whole thing had to have been thrown away. And there are more than a thousand prophecies printed in scripture. Over 300 just about Jesus. And the last prophecy about Jesus was printed 400 years before he ever even lived. And the prophecies weren't general like he's going to be awesome or he's, he's going to be a good guy. They were really detailed like where he'd live, where he'd be born, like he, that he would flee to Egypt, that, that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. 
Or are you ready for this one? This one just totally still blows my mind. David prophesied the crucifixion of Jesus before crucifixion even existed. Crucifixion was invented hundreds of years later by the Romans right before Jesus. So how did David see that? It had to have been God-given. In fact, in fact, there was a guy named Dr. Peter Stoner, a very unfortunate name, but a very smart guy. Dr. Peter Stoner did an entire study called Science Speaks, where he and 600 researchers, 600 probability experts studied what the probability would be of one person fulfilling that many prophecies. And they determined that the probability of one person fulfilling just eight of the 300 prophecies would be one in 10 to the 17th power. It is this number. Let me give you a picture of how big that number is. If you, if you were to take uh, that many silver dollar coins and you were to lay them side by side on the ground inside the state of Texas. I mean, if you've ever been to Texas, y'all, it is a no tree state that it takes 14 hours for you to drive from one side to the other. And if you took that many silver dollars and laid them side by side, the entire state of Texas not only would be completely covered, but the pile of those silver dollars would be border to border all the way around and it would be two feet deep. So the probability of one person fulfilling eight of those prophecies would be like marking one of those silver dollars with an X, then flying over the state of Texas in a helicopter and randomly dropping someone down in a bucket and having him sink his hand randomly at some point, expecting him to pull out the spot that was marked with the X. Totally impossible. You take it to the next level. Because one person fulfilling 16 prophecies would be one in, the, one in 10 to the 45th power. 48 prophecies would be one in 10 to the 157th power. That's this number. <laughs> that's 157 zeros. Don't you wish that's what your bank account looked like? But Jesus didn't fulfill eight prophecies. He didn't fulfill 16. He didn't even fulfill 48. He fulfilled all of them. How is that possible? Well, perhaps scripture was right when it said prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But the prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said this. He said this all happened to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scripture. You can trust this book, the Bible, because it is prophetically accurate. Here's the fourth reason that the Bible can be trusted, that it is thematically unified. Now, if you were here last week, I talked about this a little bit, so I'm not gonna get into great detail. If you wanna know more about it, then you can go back and watch it on our app or on our website. But if you were here, you remember me saying that it wasn't written, by the Bible, by one person. It was written by 40 different people over 1,600 years, which means many of them could not possibly have collaborated. They didn't even live in the same place. 12 nations, three continents. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And yet they all wrote about the same theme without error or contradiction. And it is because they were actually writing about the same person. Watch this. Jesus said this, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures, watch this, concerning himself. Jesus is woven throughout the entire Bible because he is the whole story. 
Jesus actually appears in every book. If you decide that you want to dig deeper into that because we don't have the time to do that, let me give you a really, really good resource. It's one of my favorite books. Years ago, a woman named Dr. Henrietta Mears, she worked with uh, 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 Dr. Billy Graham. She wrote a book called What the Bible is All About. And she takes every book of the Bible and actually as an introduction to that book, she tells you where Jesus is found in that book. And it totally brings the Bible to life and validates the fact that the Bible is thematically unified. Here's the fifth reason the Bible can be trusted is that it was trusted by Jesus. Now, from time to time, I have people who will say to me, like, I really love Jesus. I, like, I love his teachings. I think he was a, a good man. But, you know, I don't know about the rest of the book. But honestly, you cannot trust Jesus without trusting the rest of the Bible. In fact, Jesus himself said, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not even the least stroke of a pen of the Bible will by any means disappear from the law until everything in it is accomplished. Jesus trusted the whole book. He trusted the whole Bible. And sometimes I have people, particularly young people, tell me, well, things have changed, Pastor. You know, things are different now. We don't believe it like we used to believe it. We don't believe it like y'all believed it. We just don't believe it like that anymore. And I get it, stuff changes. But times may change, but y'all, truth doesn't. Don't start changing the Bible to fit you. You better start changing you to fit the Bible because it is reliable. We can't pick and choose the parts that we're gonna obey because we're not qualified. We're not trustworthy enough to be filtering what parts we're gonna abide by or agree with because there's, there's lots of stuff in there that I don't agree with that I still abide by. There's lots of stuff in life that I don't agree with that I still abide by, like speeding. I mean, most of the time. Most of the time I did that, full confession, I was pulled over twice last week by the same police officer. And the second time when he came up, he walked up to the window and he said, seriously, you again? And he gave me a warning, thank God, the second time. But the first time he gave me a $124 ticket. And so there are some things that I have to abide by. Anyway, the Bible is true. It's right. It's pure. It's perfect in every way. Here is the sixth reason that the Bible can be trusted is that it has survived all attacks. Which, which let's just pause right there and say, why was it attacked in the first place? Why aren't the other ones attacked? Like, have you ever noticed the kind of attacks that come against Christianity? They're like none other. Why? Could it be that the enemy is desperate to keep you as far from it as possible? It's why the Bible has been the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, disparaged, destroyed book of all time. Yet it still endures. Yet it still lives on. It has survived and is still changing lives to this day. No one has been or ever will be able to stop it because it is the power of God that leads us to salvation and it'll change your life if you let it. In fact, it says the grass withers, the, fall, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord it endures forever. Even though some of the smartest people who have ever lived have tried to snuff it out. Like for example, the French philosopher Voltaire, which anytime a person just has one name, that's pretty dope. But, but Voltaire was a bona fide genius. He said, within a hundred years, the Bible will be forgotten. <laughs> the only thing that's been forgotten is that quote. You wouldn't have known that if I didn't put it up on the screen. Incidentally, in a swoop of God's humor, after Voltaire died, the house that he lived in became the place of the French Bible Society. That's funny right there. Anyway, you have to decide what's going to be your final authority, the world or the word. Me? I've already made my choice. I'm going to live by the word. 
I'm going to love it and I'm going to learn it. I'm going to read it and I'm going to study it. I'm going to get in a group and I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to build my life on it and I'm going to let it be my authority, which means there are going to be times when it says something that I don't like or that I don't agree with, but I'm going to submit to its authority anyway because it has survived deeper attacks than my doubts. And it has stood the test of time. So here's, here's my final reason that the Bible can be trusted in this one. You can actually test this one. In fact, I'm going to ask you to join me on an experiment for the next year. I'm going to ask you to give me one year of your life where you test God. And in that experiment, I'm going to ask you to thank God every day, pray to God every day, and read about God every day. I'm not talking about shaving your head and wearing an orange robe, handing out flowers at the airport and dominating your whole day. Like I'm just asking you for 15 minutes, five minutes of thanks, five minutes of prayer and five minutes in the Bible. And I guarantee your life will change. It won't be perfect. But for one year, would you come to church as often as you can? For one year, would you surrender your relationships? Would you join a life group anytime that they're offered? Would you lead a group? I mean, some of y'all are, are so lonely, but you won't join a group. For one year, would you surrender your money? Would you tithe for one year just to see what happens? I guarantee you, if you do that, this next year will be better than your last year. And it'll prove this last point that you can trust the Bible because it has transforming power. I want you to see a verse and I want you to imagine that this verse is a verse that's just for you because Jesus said, if you hold, which mm, that's, a, that's an interesting word. He said, if you will hold on to my teachings and look at me for a sec, just look right here for a second. I want you to take a year and say, I'm grabbing on to it. Take one year and say, I'm gonna hold on to God's word. Because if you hold on to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And watch this, this is what's gonna happen. Then you will know the truth. And here's what's gonna happen. Give me a year, give God a year. And the truth will set you free. The truth will heal your marriage. It'll It'll change your money. The truth, it'll change your job and your kids. It'll, it'll change your life because it will set you free. Will you do that? Will you grab it? Will you hold it? I dare you to. Go ahead and try it because this book, it can be trusted. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?